Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Lorene Arbus. I'm a producer, writer, author, and activist on many fronts. I was marginalized because I'm a female, and there's no getting around it that, I mean, as a female and as an executive, I could be in a room and I didn't exist, but I could have a bigger title than anyone I was talking with, but people would direct their conversation to the man I was standing with. I mean, what is that? This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Lorraine Arbus is an activist, author, and philanthropist with an extensive history in the entertainment industry. An Emmy-nominated executive producer, she is the first woman in the United States to head programming for a national network and led networks such as Showtime and Lifetime. A national advocate for people with disabilities, Lorraine is a committed philanthropist who supports various causes focusing on women, humanities, and the arts. With additional success as a published author, professional dancer, and businesswoman, she discusses how she still thrives on setting new goals for herself. So, Lorraine, your sister had cerebral palsy. How did that affect your childhood? It made me, first of all, more appreciative for the things that I did have in life, which I might not have been as conscious of if it hadn't been for the fact that there were so many things. Almost, She could almost do nothing. It had a terrible, took a terrible toll on my mother, who was um, psychologically damaged by having a child with disability, but she became an activist in spite of that. And I was ostracized along with my family because my sister was not someone people wanted to have in their midst. What did you learn from your sister? How she was the sweetest person imaginable. She couldn't talk. We don't think she could see, maybe just shadows. She had a beautiful laugh, and she had a lovely sense of humor. She enjoyed things, but she couldn't walk, and she had numerous other disabilities. And what I learned from her was how much of an impression she made with so little to make it with. She was something, someone that people came over to. I mean, it was very fortunate she was so beautiful because people with disability are all too often people that others shun and avoid, but people came over to her, and she was just so such a lovely soul. You said people with disabilities are the world's largest minority. What don't you think people understand about people with disabilities? That we're all people with analogous wants and needs and hurts and pain and anguish and aspiration. I think people just fail to realize that. The thing that you may have observed is somebody who has some form of disability is most often treated as if they can't hear because people are shouting louder at them. I mean, it's crazy. Has it gotten any easier, you think? Somewhat. But then we're in a major, wonderful city, being in New York. And I think there's a world of difference when you go into the hinterland and the lack of awareness and consciousness. But things are better and laws are being observed more now. You came from a famous family, but when you were very young, you changed your name. How I come? did. I didn't want to ride on anyone's coattail, and I was always ambitious. I always knew I wanted to, not only knew I wanted a career, I had to have a career. I knew not to expect any handouts. I never wanted to rely upon the fact that my family name would open doors. I always was independent. I'm, I am very independent. And I wanted to make it, as it were, on my own. I heard children of 
famous parents may feel like they have to work very hard to feel like they measure up to their parents. Did you feel that? You've heard correctly. And I think without a, a little prejudice that actually we have to work much harder. Assumptions are made about us with the special opportunities that we have and the introductions that we can make and that are made to us that life, you know, that we live life with the, with the proverbial silver spoon. Not at all. People, in fact, are very prejudiced against people who have more good fortune. There's a jealousy factor, and there's the assumption that I didn't have to work. Couldn't be further from the truth. So your parents told you you had to work? Absolutely, from day one. And not only that, I didn't get an allowance. I got a small allowance, but I was told what I was to do with it. I was given a choice of how to do it, which was I had to give my money to a nonprofit, but I got to choose what subject matter. You said an important lesson you learned from your dad is that everyone counts. What do you mean by that? Well, my dad was just the greatest. He greeted everyone. He, in the elevator to the 39th floor of his building, people would come in, go out, and he would say, George, to the mailman or whoever it was, I heard your little one was not feeling well. How is he doing? He remembered everything about everyone that he learned anything about, and he cared. He was concerned and it was just a style of how we went through life as a caring human being. All too often, I'm sure you've seen it, people are just not, they're not at home, and they don't know who they're talking with, and they don't care. It's only about them. My father was so about the other person. Would you tell us about growing up with a mentally ill mom? Well, it wasn't easy. My mother was very volatile, very erratic. My older sister's caretaker, Miss Hansen, always would say to me, Loreen, you have to have empathy and not judge her. She can't help herself. So that was a very big lesson. I didn't always abide by the fact that I, uh, of believing that she couldn't help herself. I desperately hoped she would stop what she was doing and become conscious, but she wasn't. On the other hand, she went on to do so many things that were really important things in life that were important for other people. But one-to-one, -one, it was a disaster. She just couldn't deal with her own daughters, especially a daughter, her, my older sister, with disability. I read in time you learned to forgive your mother. What advice do you have to other women who want to forgive their mothers? Well, a lot of people have said to me over the years, Lorene, you've got to make peace with your mother before she goes. Now, there are two different ways to interpret that in my purview. One is that you end up almost like best friends, mother-daughter, really close, really tight. Everything is bygones are bygones. That's not the one I personally would subscribe to. It's great if people can do that. Mine is just to it was just to do the best that I could and to accept that which I couldn't change. You said you've always identified with the marginalized. How come? Because I was marginalized. I was marginalized because my sister had disability. We were ostracized. I was marginalized because I'm a female and there's no getting around it that, I mean, as a female and as an executive, I could be in a room and I didn't exist, but I could have a bigger title than anyone I was talking with, but people would direct their conversation to the man I was standing with. I mean, what is that? Um, sexism. How did you handle that when they did that? I would try and say without using those words, hello, I'm here, I'm a person. I tried not to be antagonistic, but I didn't hold back from establishing that I had a brain and that I had something to say, and hopefully it had some purpose. What's your advice to other women who feel like marginalized or outsiders? Give yourself a pep talk before you walk into any room, and keep thinking, 
if they only knew what they're missing, which I think was invaluable because when people would treat me as a non-person, I could fall back on the, if they only, in my mind, only knew that I could have done this or that for them or said this or that, that would have impressed them or made a difference if they only knew. Where'd you get that confidence from? Hurt, pain. You said you paid a price by being a nonconformist. What do you mean by that? Well, I got less money and less attention in a, in a good way, probably on numerous occasions, because I was too colorful. I've always had very, very long hair before it was fashionable, long nails, which I painted myself and decorated. I've never been conservative, and I've never been able to conform, and I've never wanted to. The price I paid was that people were threatened by, and people are threatened by anyone or anything that is different, and that goes back to the subject of disability. People with disability are different, and that scares people. People are, by and large, lemmings. They want to be amongst with their own and have a comfort zone that, you know, that provides them. Should you worry about trying to change their opinion or just let it go? Great question. I think it's important to judge who your audience is or try to judge and to know or to have an instinct about how far you can go. I think it's important to take your beliefs as far as you can if you believe that, and you should, that there's a purpose in what you can say and do. But you have to know or intuit when enough is enough, when you're not going to get anywhere. It's a fine line. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Spend time with Alexa? Then make What's News part of your flash briefing on the Amazon Echo, the Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. As you mentioned, you were the first woman to head programming at a major TV network. So tell us more about what it was like to be a female in that role. Lonely. I was head of programming for Showtime, and then I was head of programming for a new venture 24-7 called Cable Health Network, which was, I was told we had a $50 million line of credit, which today, nothing for programming. We didn't have even half that, and it was a pretty risky move to make, and they merged that venture eventually, and it became Showtime Television, and I headed up programming for that. I had no peers. I've always been a supporter of women and looked to women for support along with men. And to have no one I could go to and say something as silly and frothy and never less important as, what do I wear to that meeting or to that event? Should I speak or just wait till I'm called on? I mean, just the do's and don'ts in a small way were things I had no idea about and I had no one to ask. And I'm sure I made a million and one mistakes. I, I got a note from an executive one time and said, the way you write memos is unacceptable. We don't need to read poetry. We just need the bottom line, Lorene. It was learning by trial and error, as they say. How did you handle naysayers who may have thought you only landed certain jobs because your dad? I took my anger and I buried it outside and then walked back in and was polite and not obsequious, but definitely polite. I tried not to be, which was not easy, tried not to be defensive, but it was very hard when people don't think you've gotten your job in your own right, on your own talents and your own ambition and your own skills. 
And I worked extra hard to prove that I was doing what I was doing and knew what I was doing because it was so important to be accepted, but not accepted on their terms, on my terms. How come there are still so few women decision makers in media? It's horrendous, just horrendous, the underrepresentation of women. We're not talking a small percent. We're talking art, women artists. Less than 5% of every wall of every museum in this country has a woman artist on it. Less than 5%. What is that? What do you think of the Me Too movement? Great. I think we're in a very exciting time, a very creative time. I think television has never been better. The level of writing and and innovation in the media and in the fact that we see people coming together to protest that which is wrong is phenomenal. I, I'm very lucky I live on a street where most parades and walks and marches go by my building, and I just have to go down to the lobby and open the door and get swept up, and being swept up in the women's march, thrilling. You said many women have the disease of wanting to be liked. What do you mean? Because it's so much more difficult for women to obtain acceptance. And I already said we have to try twice as hard to do what we do to have credibility. Acceptance is not easy. And with the amount of prejudice that exists, we have to not be, we tend to be much more emotional. Now, people pass judgment on that as a bad quality. Quite frankly, I think it's wonderful. I'd rather be a person with an emotional capacity than a person who felt nothing was a zombie. And there are a lot of white men out there who are zombie-esque. I'd much rather be vulnerable and emotional, but there's a price to pay. You've spoken openly about going to therapy to help you to learn how to say no. What's your advice to women who struggle with this? Well, if you can't find my therapist, make a list of the objectives you want to achieve in an interview or when you're interviewing someone. Stay with your script and don't be impulsive. Uh, one of the pitfalls for me has been, oh, I like your idea so much. Let's do this. this. And I haven't slowed down enough to think it through and not wanting to be dismissed or disliked, I get myself in a pickle of trouble sometimes. So I think slowing down and thinking through what are the ramifications and having set that list of objectives and trying to stay with it, but keep them on a piece of paper near you so you can remind yourself of what you promised you would do or not do. You've also said women shouldn't say they're lucky for their success. How come? Oh, my goodness. I love your asking that. I am so sick and tired and truly angry about how many women attribute their success to, oh, I was lucky. No, 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 no. We have all worked so hard along with the men, but we women have more often than not, as as I've said several times, worked twice as hard to get what we get. Don't ascribe it to luck as if it was just a throwaway. No, it was something we worked and did and believed in doing and took on the odds against us. Take credit. I think some people say that, though, because they want to sound humble. I don't think so. I think it's more that thing of wanting to please and to be accepted. And I don't think humility has much to do with it. Wish that were a factor, but I don't think so. Tell us the first thing you do when you enter a conference room. I sniff the air. I follow in the path of I love, love, love animals. And if you observe animals, virtually all of them do this. They know who might be an enemy before they encounter their enemy or another creature. And they can have more finely honed instincts about what they're in for. And as I myself, having been for many years a professional dancer, 
Before going on stage, I would do what I call sniffing the air. And is this a friendly audience or is this an unfriendly audience? And you can tell there's a world of difference. And you can turn the audience around if you know, if you understand, sometimes, not always. You just have to really hone in on, zero in on what you're walking into and not just barge your way through. It's something I think people don't much think about. I learned that from my dance partner and from animals. You help a lot of people, but you've said you have complexes about people asking for things. What do you mean? Well, as a child, because I had an entree in terms of my father to the entertainment industry, people would say, Lorene, can you get us this and that band and ask me something that might have meaning for me and not because you're using me. I was just saying to a friend of mine today at lunch, I never get invited to anything without there being a price tag, without there being an agenda. When someone as, I need to mention her name, Lori Sokol, who's the executive director of Women's Z News, called me up one day and she said, Loreen, we want to offer an award, have an award that Women's Z News gives out and name it the Loreen Arbus Focus on Disability Award. And I said, how much? And she said, no, Loreen, we just want to give an award in your name for what you have to recognize what you have done. Do you know this was a moment in history? And I am and was so grateful that I wasn't being parlayed into something else, money or an introduction or whatever. It was, Loreen, we want to acknowledge you and thank you. I'm not asking to be acknowledged all the time, but it was a breath of fresh air. I don't know that that's ever happened. How do you figure out your true friends when you're in a position like you are? It's really hard. It gets increasingly easy. Here's what I do. I say to myself, if I was if I was captive in a little room in the basement or in the attic, would the people I'm standing with now come to my rescue? Would they or would they betray me? And it's kind of a Holocaust mentality, even though my parents were not survivors of the Holocaust. But I always, always look at people and I say to myself, would they or wouldn't they turn me in? And that takes me right to the core of who they are in a weird kind of way, even though one thing doesn't have anything to do theoretically with the other, it does. It gives you a sense of the quality and the character of the person. Donate the use of your grand apartment in New York to charity. What motivates you to do that? Well, I'm a collector of art and a compulsive collector of art. My parents were artists. I'm an artist. And to share my art with people has been just so joyful because everything was in storage and I took it out of storage. But the bigger reason is that why should nonprofits have to go to all that trouble when they're doing such important things, why should they have to look for a venue and spend money to cultivate people when I can offer them the opportunity to expand their horizons and their mission statements, have them get known, better known? It gives me such joy to know that people will now know about different nonprofits. I read you don't own your apartments. I don't. I rent in L.A., I rent in New York, I rent rent in Buenos Aires. How come? I just, I have a bag lady complex, which is very real. What's here now is going to be gone tomorrow. And I know a lot of women, which is why it's called bag lady, who have this too. It's just kind of an insecurity that what you have is really real. I mean, there's some men who had it. It was called something different, I'm sure. I know Aaron Spelling for all he made and the size of his house, which was one of the 
biggest, if not the biggest, at a point in time. He felt it was all going to go away. What do you invest in then? I invest very conservatively. People come to me all the time with ideas for companies and for um, funds, startup operations, and so on. I just defer to my money managers, three women, one man, which I've consciously made a choice about. I used to have all men, and now it's tempered with, as I said, three to one. And I defer to them, and I tell everybody I have a really conservative portfolio, really conservative and traditional. It's that insecurity thing and the bag lady thing operating there and the fact that it's not something I really enjoy picking stocks. I really don't. You said we are meaningless if we don't serve others. What do you mean? It's a lesson I learned from both my parents who felt so importantly about helping others and everything and everyone, including animals, that get my support, it's because they're marginalized. And how wonderful is it to be able to know that you've helped someone, and maybe more than someone, in this world, someone who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity you can give them to use that power you have. Time now for your secrets. I'm Lorene Arbus. My money secret is I never assume. I never assume that I know more than I know. And I look at every situation that has to do with money as a learning experience, and I temper it with always asking questions. Be sure to check back every week for future episodes featuring designer Rebecca Minkoff and actress Sandra Bernhardt. Hear from women industry leaders about their road to a successful career and their secrets to financial empowerment. Find us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite audio provider and tune in every week for all new episodes of the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com. Or on Twitter, use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.